Hello and welcome. I'm Sean. And I'm Kat. And this is another episode of Been There, Seen That. Welcome back to our 23rd episode. Today we are covering a musical, and this one was suggested by Danielle. Today's episode is Hairspray. I want to hear what your thoughts were, more so your first experience with Hairspray. Walk me through the first time that you saw this movie. I honestly don't remember the first time that I saw the movie, to be completely honest with you, but I do have a funny story for you. The first experience that like sticks out in my brain (laughs) was when we were auditioning for high school. And we did audition for high school. Sean and I went to this like performing arts program in Orlando. And our dance call audition was You Can't Stop the Beat. So (laughs) that musical number is like ingrained in my brain as DP. I've I've seen my fair share of Hairspray productions. I've been in a production of Hairspray. You Can't Stop the Beat is one of the most demanding songs to perform live because there's just no breathing room in that song. Didn't they say, I think we were reading on, it was probably like IMDb or something, the cast called it You Can't Stop to Breathe because it's just so... Oh, absolutely. You don't don't have a second to just chill. And I want to specify, we're talking about the 2007 Hairspray. I know there was one in 1988, but this is the 2007 one. And I feel like a lot of people have some really happy memories with the 2007 Hairspray. I know when I look back and think about all the different times that I saw it, it was with a bunch of friends. It was one of those movies that came out over the summer And I feel like everyone was seeing it. Yeah, I don't even remember seeing this movie in theaters. 2007, what were we doing then? That was middle school. I want to say I saw this in theaters four times. No, that was elementary school for us. 2007? I was 11. So that's elementary school. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I was in elementary school and you were in middle school. Doesn't matter. (laughs) I don't know what I was doing, but I don't think I saw it in theaters because I don't think I was at the point to like go see a movie on my own and my family is not a musical theater family. (laughs) That's fair. I only saw it primarily because my sister saw it and fell in love with it and went into Mm -hmm. like hairspray overload. She bought the soundtrack right after she saw it with her friends. She wanted to see it again. And then my mom kind of jumped on the bandwagon because my mom was a really big musical person. And so she brought me and my sister to see it. And then I ended up loving it. (laughs) And took my dad to see it and he ended up loving it. And then we saw it, I think, one or two more times in theaters because it was one of the few movies that was out in that like release window. I know a lot of movies came out in the summer of 2007, but I feel like around Hairspray, it was kind of on its own for a little while. That's interesting. I didn't know you were like that attached to this musical. (laughs) I mean, when it first came out, I had never seen anything like it. So when when did you do Hairspray? So I did Hairspray in high school. It was, I want to say my junior year. Yeah, it was the summer in between junior and senior year. And it was a wild ride, I got to say. And obviously, our high school did a production my freshman year, which I wasn't a part of. It's always just kind of been one of those musicals that's been around me. I think a lot of people use Hairspray as their feel-good musical because it is one of those musicals that tends to just put you in a good mood. I feel like when you Mm -hmm. hear the songs, it's pretty upbeat for the most part with the exception of like I know where I've been and stuff like that but I think with Hairspray you never really have someone that's gonna say oh I don't want to watch Hairspray if you're like in a group setting and someone were to say oh let's watch Hairspray. Maybe I'm the exception but 
Well, I guess we have to talk about that. <laughs> so before we do, I do want to give you a spoiler warning. We are going to be going to the Hairspray in full detail. So that includes the musical. If you have not seen the musical, if you have not seen the 88 movie, if you have not seen the 2007 movie, we recommend you see at least one of those if you don't want this spoiled for you. That being said, let's get started. So let's talk about the plot a little bit. We open up and we have our first number of the movie and it's Good Morning Baltimore. And I feel like they do a really good job at setting the scene. And Good Morning Baltimore has always been one of those fun songs that I think is a prime way to start a show. It's definitely like the mm-hmm. introduction to Tracy Turnblad and the type of character she is around Baltimore. Uh, where is Baltimore? <laughs> what do you mean? Where, Like, where is it? Maryland. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm sorry. <laughs> I really should have looked that up. I, I actually, really I should know just, that. I really was just like, <laughs> what, you, what do you mean? Oh my God. Okay, yeah. So we zoom in on Baltimore. It's, I feel really stupid. Um, but they like opening shops up. It's very... I don't know. I think you get that a lot in musicals where it's just, oh, start of the day. We're opening up all the shops on the street and everybody's walking out and everybody's grabbing their coffee. And we're getting the introduction to all the side characters that she's talking about. And that's one of the things I like about Good Morning Baltimore. She's naming all these different characters. There's the flasher who lives next door, the bum on the ballroom stool, all these different people that she interacts with every morning. And so you're seeing them as she's walking through and singing about how she's going to make it big one day. But the primary character trait of Tracy Turnblad is that she's a plus size girl so that becomes really important to the plot because she gets bullied for it throughout and when we get introduced to some characters later down the line you're gonna see that they aren't really built like her and that tracy's introduction and her plot line basically is i don't even know how you would want to call it like body positive i think tracy as a whole is just very positive that she's super happy-go-lucky and there's not she doesn't really have a negative outlook on anything in the entire movie yeah and i think she surrounds herself with some pretty positive people too like her best friend penny yeah everyone's very positive and i mean it is a very positive musical there's not a lot of negativity going around which is a little controversial in the subject matter of the plot just because there should be some negativity circulating and there's just kind of not which is fine but like there's erasure that goes along with that i don't know i think that's one of my biggest issues with the musical i think that we will get there like a little bit further down the plot right. but at this point in the plot it's definitely just an introduction to tracy we haven't really been introduced Super to happy. the plot itself yet yeah i and i mean tracy is a character what she's like 16 or something right i assume 16 okay cool i was right i was right about something <laughs> So Tracy and her best friend Penny watch the Corny Collins show every day, and that's a local teen dance TV show where basically you just watch all the trendiest dances of the 60s at the time. And Penny's mother is actually very against the Corny Collins show, so Penny has to sneak over to Tracy's house every day to watch it. And we get this scene where they're running through their school to get on the bus, and they're like, hurry up, we're going to miss it. And I really like Mm -hmm. this scene because... It keeps cutting back and forth between all of the kids on the Corny Collins show getting ready for the show and Tracy and Penny running home to catch it on this live broadcast. I do like that, like two scenes cutting together like that. I think it's it builds suspense and you're like building up to this moment and they kind of merge right when they start recording, which is neat. And I think one of the funny things about this movie is that or this musical whatever is that all these like kids who are on tv are also just very normal like link goes to tracy's school right they're school kids and that's another reason that i think 
maybe Penny and Tracy enjoy the show is because they see kids that they wish they could be from their school. Yeah, like the super popular kids. And they definitely like exemplify that super popular vibe. (laughs) So we have Nicest Kids in Town, which is, again, that council member that introduces the members of the Corny Collins show. They have their roll call and everything. And we're introduced to Link Larkin and Amber Von Tussle. Those are the primary members of the council that we'll get to know from the Corny Collins show. And Amber's the mean girl. She is the bitchy blonde, for lack of a better term. And she just <laughs> she's a pageant is, queen. Yeah, she's a pageant queen. She's very much her mother's daughter. She mm-hmm. is willing to do what it takes to be a star. And she's ruthless, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. I like Amber as a character because I think she's very well written. She's definitely a stereotype, but it comes across really well. And she kind of acts as like the villain of the show. I think if you were to if you were to put your finger on a quote unquote antagonist in the show, it would be more of a concept as opposed to a person. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that it's the concept that they want you to focus on instead of a mm-hmm. character. They just kind of like exemplify that through Amber and her mother. What's her name? Velma? Velma Von Tussle. And then the other character we get introduced to, like I mentioned, is Link Larkin. And that's played by Zac Efron, which at the time was huge because this is right off Mm -hmm. the high school musical train. And that's why he got cast, right? I don't know if it's why he got cast, but I do know that his filming schedule with Hairspray is one of a couple of reasons that he wasn't on the high school musical concert tour. Yeah, I like vaguely remember hearing something that like the director wanted him after seeing him in high school musical. But I don't know. What do you think about now? retroactively looking at Zac Efron out of that time period as Link. I think that Zac Efron really was at his peak in this point in his career. And even though it was just the beginning, I feel like if you look at the type of movies that he's in now, or maybe not now because I feel like he's kind of stepped back over the past few years, but Mm -hmm. maybe like the later 2010, so like maybe like 2017 to 2019, around that area. Not even Charlie St. Cloud, more like the Baywatch area. I feel like there came a time where he definitely stopped caring about the roles and was letting himself be cast based on his body. And I think I've seen interviews where he's talked about how he realized that he was getting cast for his body. And so that's why he took a step back. Interesting. I wasn't there like a whole documentary on him about that? Something. I think like that he has a show on Netflix where he like travels around the world now. Yeah. Okay, random. But I don't know. I loved Zach Efron at the time. And I think for this film, he was like perfect casting because he was like the it guy at the time for the art- audience that they were trying to target. But looking back on it, I don't love him as Link. Is that bad? I think that's a hot take. I think he might be one of the oh. few people that don't enjoy his portrayal yeah i don't know i just i wish there was like a little i know link is supposed to be very surface but i feel like there wasn't even anything past surface it just felt like maybe he wasn't trying i don't know (laughs) i feel like he was almost the embodiment of link maybe that's why it doesn't seem like he was trying because i feel like link is very much in his own world he's only thinking about himself and that really gets exemplified later in the plot it does i agree with you i just think there were a few moments where it didn't feel natural like what was coming out of his mouth and i i don't know that's that's my hot take on this movie i have a few hot takes on this movie (laughs) so then we go forward and it's revealed that the corny colin show is having a casting call for a new dancer and they have one of these dancers step up and corny collins is like oh how long are you going to be gone for and she's like just nine months and they have this awkward beat where you're supposed (laughs) to click together that she's leaving because she got knocked up and tracy obviously sees this and something we didn't mention about tracy is that she loves to dance and sing yeah and you see that like her and penny i get penny and amber like their names mixed up and i have no idea why but her and penny 
are like dancing and singing along to the show. And, you know, they're obviously, we said, very enthusiastic about it. So it's very much a part of her character already. But I think this like, I don't want to say opening scene, but this introduction to the Courtney Collins show is where we kind of see the, is B-plot the wrong word for it? But the B-plot of like the race issues going on here, because it, we're also introduced to Edna in this scene who's a huge character, Tracy's mom. And Penny's mom comes in and says, you're letting her listen to that race music again. And so that whole plot, I think, is introduced very early on. Well, you have to look at the time period. So the Mm -hmm. 60s, there was already the segregation issues. And that's more of like Penny's plot with her mom, I think, because her mom's not a primary character at all. She's just there primarily for laughs, if anything. So Mm -hmm. having her deliver that line, I think, is just showing that Her mom's a very closed-minded person and is against integration. Yeah, and I think a lot of characters are. And that's why Tracy, like the happy-go-lucky character, she doesn't have a problem with anything. She's very, like, into it. But the, I think, eh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but the issue with Tracy is that she thinks it's, like, trendy to be, like, into integration. I wouldn't say that she thinks it's trendy. I just think that she's, like on the forefront of it. I mean, there's always going to be someone that paves the way. I agree. I just think there's like, there's lines in there that are a little offhand. Like when, okay, we'll get to a little later on because that's later on down the plot that she says those lines. We're also introduced to Velma Von Tussle, who is Amber's mother, and she's the station manager for the Corny Collins show. She's very (laughs) dramatic. She doesn't want anyone that's out of the blue, and she wants Amber to be front and center, and that's... A Kris Jenner, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, that's very much shown when they cut from Nicest Kids in Town. She's walking around the stage, and she goes up to the cameraman, and she says, I hope you enjoyed your nap. If you were good at doing your job, my daughter wouldn't have to fight to be seen and he's like oh i have to show some of the other kids too and she threatens his job over that and again momager's perfect word for that Mm -hmm. she's crazy (laughs) but she also has that line where she's like we have to steer them in the white direction and they're like you mean the right direction she's like yeah what did i say (laughs) one of the interesting things i found about the corny collins show is that it's very insistent on kids like not going to school and school's like not important and it's just about being cool and looking cool and if you look cool you don't need school because like even when they do the casting call or whatever it is where they're like oh come out and audition for us they're like skip school and come out to the Courtney Collins show and audition for us you don't need school (laughs) I would compare it to the equivalent of you know that complex that jocks get some special treatment when Mm -hmm. it comes to like grades and schooling because we have scenes later down where the kids from the Courtney Collins show are in class and and they're not oh, they're really stupid. Yeah, they're not really there. They don't they don't really care about school. And I think that it's safe to assume they're getting special treatment and getting on by because they're so focused right. on their careers. And when you get the scene after Nicest Kids in Town where they're all walking around and you see them taking out their cutlets and their bras and taking out <laughs> their stuffing in their pants, you just kind of get a feel that these kids don't really care about anything except themselves. They're superficial, like, beyond belief. And there's also that line, like you said, we see them in school. Um, It's Link walking down the hallway, and I, I don't remember who he's with, but the kid who he's with is like, the ideas of March. How does March have an idea? <laughs> so we have the auditions for the Corny Collins show, and that gives us the number, The Legend of Miss Baltimore Crab. So Velma Von Tussle takes over, and she's instructing this dance callback for all the kids that want to come and audition for the Corny Collins show. And you get this dance number. It's very well done. And I think Michelle Pfeiffer was born to play Velma Von Tussle. I think Mm -hmm. 
one of the things that most people would agree with for hairspray is that the casting is something that was so on point. I agree for 80% of it. Yes. Who would you say wasn't? Um, well, Zach Efron. I think it's like 85% of the way there. And then they don't really like John Travolta. It's a hot take. I'm not the biggest fan of him as an actor necessarily, but I think that he was a great Edna. I think he's okay as Edna, but I think it's like, do you know where that comes from? Like Edna being played by a man? From the original production of Hairspray. Right. Like, is there a reason behind that? (laughs) Or is it just supposed to be funny? I think it's part of the gag. Okay. I think that Hairspray on its own is supposed to be very over the top and comedic. And I feel like having Edna being played by this man who's just over the top acting in this bodysuit as like a super insecure woman is something that's really not necessarily funny, but it sets a good tone for what you're supposed to be feeling. Yeah, I don't know. I I always thought it was like a weird concept. And I I also hate like any time that fat suits are used. I just think it's so cheesy and unnecessary. But you know, that's that's my take on it. I get that it's funny. And it's like supposed to be a gag thing. But yeah, not my favorite casting. (laughs) Fair enough. So we have Tracy and she gets treated awfully at these callbacks. They're going around and they're saying, Oh, you do you dance like you dress and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And the final punchline again, you're going to get that racist undertone here is when Velma asks her if she'd swim in an integrated pool. And Tracy says direct quote, I share wood. I'm all for integration. It's the new frontier. And Velma goes, not in Baltimore, it isn't. So you see that Tracy's kind of open to whatever, but the nicest kids in town, they're all just really bratty and they're very close-minded. They want their attention. And something we didn't mention is that this TV studio gives any colored people one day of the month and they call it Negro Day. And Tracy goes on to say, Negro Day is the best. I wish every day were Negro Day. So you're getting the sense that she definitely is open to change and later down she wants to make the change happen but when she says that she would swim in an integrated pool you really see this disgust from all the other kids and i think that is supposed to be the first hint that you're really getting that there's going to be a plot later down involving a race war yeah for sure i would i don't know it's like a whole undertone throughout the thing but they also call her short and stout but the other thing is like she kind of just lets it roll off her back she doesn't leave like super upset she just runs back to school and i think who is it penny who's like i think they secretly liked you best friend vibes i know i love her but when she goes back to school she tries to sneak in and her teacher catches her and sends her straight to detention and that's when we're introduced to a whole other cast of characters primarily seaweed because she walks in everybody's dancing and she's kind of down with it and they're kind of surprised that she can keep up with their dancing and link ends up seeing tracy dance something we should also mention is that the detention room is only filled with black kids there's no white kids to be seen and so you're getting the vibe that there is this segregation going on where you have any children that are in the minority in this musical it's primarily black kids but any kids in minority are thrown into detention in the school so their education is not really shown there's not even a teacher in the room so they're just dancing and seaweed and all of his surrounding friends are dancers on 
on the Corny Collins show for Negro Day. Mm-hmm. And they all, it's such, it's a fun scene. I honestly love it. Then Link invites Tracy to the hop tomorrow that Corny Collins is hosting because he's, he sees her dance and he's like, you know, you should get noticed. Like, come to the hop and get noticed. And we get a really funny scene here with I Can Hear the Bells, which is arguably one of my favorite numbers in this. When I see it on really? stage, it's definitely <laughs> not my favorite, but in the movie, I like I Can Hear the Bells. It's a nice laugh for me. I think it translates better in the movie just because you can see that visual montage of like what her imagination is doing and it's harder to do that on stage so it's i think this is one of those rare musical numbers that translates better on film took the words right out of my mouth perfect so so then we have the hop and tracy shows up it's a dance in the gym and link and corny collins are on stage link is singing and corny's hosting it and you get zach efron singing ladies choice and you have a moment where tracy goes up and they have a divider across the middle of the gym floor. And on one side, it's the white kids. And on the other side, it's the black kids. And Tracy goes up and starts talking to Seaweed. And everyone's staring at her. Specifically, Amber. You see a look of disgust on Amber's face. Oh, she's pissed. <laughs> and Tracy goes up to Seaweed and is like, Hey, would you mind if I borrow that dance that you taught me in detention? And at first, she asks him to come over and do it with her. But Seaweed's like, We can't. I have to dance on my side. You have to dance on your side. That's just the way it is. But mm-hmm. you can go ahead and borrow it. So Tracy starts doing Seaweed's dance, the Peyton Place After Midnight, and Corny notices, and all of a sudden the whole gym has eyes on Tracy because she's stealing the show with her dance moves. And Can I just say, Lady's Choice is, I think, my favorite number in this entire musical. It is so fun. And I think Zac Efron really kills it. This is, I think, my favorite scene, too. I love Lady's Choice. Very random. I know. It's so fun, though. Like, how can you not like Lady's Choice? <laughs> it is fun. And then when Zac Efron does his, like, wow, like... Uh, I love him. <laughs> Even though it's you good. were in, in total agreement with him as Link for that I'm moment alone. You, <laughs> for that moment alone, this whole scene is just really well done. And I, I love this number because I think it it's upbeat and not as cheesy of a way. Like if you compare this to like You Can't Stop the Beat, this is less, I want to call it less musical theater E. I mean, it's definitely still a musical theater song, but it doesn't have that like cheesiness to it where it's like, nah. It's very like we're dancing. <laughs> and right at the end of Lady's Choice, you cut to Penny screaming, Mr. and Mrs. Turnblad. Oh my God. <laughs> and you see her running down the street to the Turnblad house and she storms in. And Edna's like, What's going on, Penny? And Wilbur's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And she turns on the TV and you're seeing nicest kids in town and they're doing the roll call of all the kids. And at the very end is Tracy and it's revealed that she got the open slot on the show. And so everyone's right. super excited for her. Her parents at first, specifically her mom, didn't want her to audition. She had a line where she said, says they don't pick girls like us and they're they're yeah. gonna hurt her but earlier she had a conversation with her dad and her dad's like if this is your dream you need to go for it and so it's a very heartwarming moment when Edna and Wilbur finally see her on TV right and one of the moments I really love about this scene is Penny when she's like dragging them to the TV and it's like it's all just a Hollywood set you know I don't believe that whatever and she's talking about the moon landing like she thinks she's gonna show her the moon landing <laughs> there's like little 60s references in there that are so funny and but they're just like dropped in. It's like I've, a line or two. I think they do that, yeah, just to keep you immersed in the 60s undertone yeah. of it. One of the things that this musical does really well is like keep you in the 60s, I think. And they do curate that that time period very well. Definitely. One of the standouts for me was the costume and wig design for this. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, that is so iconic. I don't even no, I'm sure there's probably a documentary somewhere. If anyone's seen one, let me know. Where they talk about what went into the hair production and wig production. Because I'm not sure which of it is real hair versus wigs. Obviously, for some characters, like 
I know John Travolta doesn't have enough hair to give us Edna's yeah. updo, but I'd love to see what was real and what was a wig. I know, right? So then we get this montage song. It's called The New Girl in Town. And this is where we're kind of seeing how Tracy is making an impact on the show. At first, everyone was very against her because she was, again, defying the status quo here. And Zac Efron stuck to the status quo. But Mm -hmm. she was defying the status quo and everyone at first wasn't okay with it. But slowly, everyone wants to be like her. And through this montage, you're seeing people buying Tracy wigs and they're going to the joke shop that her dad owns and they're buying Tracy merchandise. The, The producer of the network comes up and he says that Tracy's sending up their hairspray sales and she's Mm -hmm. completely changed it for them. But you start to see Velma get a little worried that Tracy's kind of contending for Miss Teenage Hairspray against Amber now. Right, and she's she's super worried about it because if Amber doesn't follow in her footsteps, like, they're worth nothing. All they are is image. So if this plus-size girl who's super short and, like, not model-esque beats out Amber, what does that say about them? And I think that Amber views Tracy as a threat because in the ladies' choice scene, you see Link giving Tracy the attention. And so from oh, that so moment, <laughs> I think you see Link really start to develop his feelings for Tracy and Amber feels threatened by it. Absolutely. So that's a whole other thing. And throughout this, I think it's during the montage as well, we're seeing them go back and forth to detention again. And detention becomes like this cool spot and everyone's trying to get into detention with their like pink slips. And I love that moment moment where Penny comes and they're like, where's your slip? And Tracy's like, she's with me. They're like literally in detention. <laughs> like they're trying to take tickets Because everyone's clamoring in like it's like a backstage tour or something. I know. I, I love that scene. But then Penny's introduced to seaweed in that scene and she is instantly into him, which I was reading at the time that relationship would have been illegal. Like the year that this musical takes place and in Baltimore, like it would have actually still been illegal. I think that's why a lot of people like Penny and Seaweed is because they beat the odds there. And you have that moment where we'll talk about it when we get there. But with You Can't Stop the Beat where they're put front and center and everyone's Mm -hmm. applauding. Right. And it's just I don't think I had realized before I had read that 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 relationship was still illegal. I thought it was just more taboo than anything, but it was literally against the law. So in our number, The New Girl in Town, we have this really cool transition where you have the three girls from, we'll call it the white episodes of Corny Collins' show, mm-hmm. and they're singing New Girl in Town. And then they get bumped. Again, it's just a transition scene where all of a sudden you have the Dynamites who are the trio equivalent for Negro Day singing the same song. And honestly, they do it better. But the really (laughs) funny line is you have Velma come up after they call cut and she goes up to Motormouth Maybell, who I don't know if we talked about is Seaweed's mom and she's the host of Negro Day and it's played by Queen Latifah who... How did I not know that was Seaweed's mom? Oh my God, they they definitely mention it. They do. Now that you're saying that, that... Okay, never mind. At least once an episode, we always have a moment where Catherine forgets <laughs> that that just happened. And th- this I is that moment. I black out. <laughs> but we have Velma go up to Motormouth and she's like, how dare you sing the same song? And Motormouth just looks at her and goes, they wrote it. And I don't yeah. know why I always laugh at that. Just the attitude and the look that she gives her. She's like, they wrote it. She's so funny. I love her as a character. I think her she's comedic such a- timing is so good. Yeah, she's such a great addition to the plot. And in that fit of rage, Velma also kind of threatens Motormouth. And she says, you know, Negro Day could be canceled just like that. You better watch yourself. And you have this sweet moment where you have Seaweed go up and he's like, is everything okay? And she's like, it's just a foot in the door. That's all it is. But then we cut back to Tracy's story and we're introduced to Mr. Pinky from Mr. (laughs) Pinky's Hefty Hideaway. 
I love Mr. Pinky. Um, so Mr. Pinky calls up Edna, and I love this because Edna really handles it well. She doesn't like freak out or anything, but she is, and she's just trying to hide it. Mr. Pinky calls Edna and asks if Tracy will be their spokesperson. And Tracy's like, "Well, mommy, you have to come with me. Like, you have to come with me to the to Mr. Pinky's, whatever." And I I think there's like this whole thing that I didn't realize about Edna. I knew she was kind of like a shut in, but she's like definitely agoraphobic. Like. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Yeah. She says, like, I haven't left this house since 1951. And what is it? It's like 62, I think. I think so. Yeah. It's 1962. It's been like over 10 years since Edna's literally left the house. And she makes comments about like, oh, my God, there's so much air here. And she's like overwhelmed. Like, it's very like anxiety inducing, but it's like still a comedic moment. But I don't think I realized probably because I was younger the last time I saw this, that she literally has like some serious issues. And she's also super insecure because she mentions, oh, well, the neighbors haven't seen me since I was a size 10. So I think that there came a time where she probably gained a lot of weight and then lost her self-confidence. And that's where she got this disorder. Right. I actually was reading something this morning that totally not related, but I was reading something about Marilyn Monroe and how she was a size 14, but in today's sizes... That translates into a size four. So I'm wondering if that maybe would have been like a size two. And like Edna was very small. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I'd that was just a weird correlation. On that. Right? Because like if we're talking about the 50s, that would have been around the same time period. So after she answers, they decide to go down and you get this number of welcome to the 60s. And that's where we have Edna finally going out into the world. And Tracy's convinced her that it's totally a different world out there. It's crazy. You'll love it. And they go to Mr. Pinky's hefty hideaway where it's this plus size dress shop and Everything seems so glamorous. Edna's just enamored and in awe by <laughs> everything that's going on. And you get this really cute mother-daughter moment where her and Tracy both get a makeover. And Edna steps up when they get to Mr. Pinky's and kind of negotiates her contract because Tracy wants her mom to be her negotiator and agent. And mm-hmm. Edna even says, she's like, I can't negotiate. And she's like, but who knows me better than my mother? Right. It's like cute because Tracy's very, oh, let's go. Like, I want you to kind of come out of your shell. Like, it's the 60s out here now things are different i have a funny story about welcome to the 60s so (laughs) in the production of hairspray i was in i was double cast as wilbur and mr pinky so you were mr pinky i was mr pinky (laughs) and the big transition for me was that with my mr pinky scenes i had this really awful mustache that i had to put on for the one scene and Mm -hmm. one night i was waiting on stage for my moment to enter and welcome to the 60s and the dressing room was on the other side of the stage and i realized that i had completely just forgotten to put my mustache on i put the (laughs) costume on and everything and so i sprinted i kid you not from the other side of the stage to get my mustache and right as my cue came on i was literally just sealing the mustache on my face oh my god that's so funny that's a very you thing to do oh absolutely call back to the bald cap from annie <laughs> Ooh, we can't talk about that we'll talk about that on our annie episode if we ever get one oh my god that that would bring up some funny stories oh god um okay <laughs> after welcome to the 60s we have this moment where tracy and her mom go out for dessert but they run into amber and amber's mom and amber's mom makes this really nasty comment where she's just like oh is that a new dress well you'll stop traffic yeah it's just like this whole scene of them solidifying their characters but they're very outwardly rude and we've seen them be like rude before but i don't think face to face they've been like super rude in that way 
And it's just like a whole other level from going from Amber being mean to Tracy, which is one thing they're in high school. Like, obviously, kids are a nightmare in high school. But for Amber's mom to like be rude to Tracy's mom, that's like a different level, I think. And when they leave, Tracy even looks at her mom and she says, don't listen to a word they say. You know why they do this? It's because she's scared I'm going to beat Amber for Miss Teenage Hairspray. And her mom's like, really? Yeah, I love that. She's like almost proud of her and that. She's very cool. So then we have our next day at school, and this is where we get just probably the best day in terms of the movie. Mm -hmm. We have Tracy get detention because Amber kind of sets her up for this mean note being passed around about the teacher, and she's like, oh, Tracy. Amber also has that weird moment where she's like pretending to be friends with Tracy, so she's talking about her, and she's like, oh, I feel bad for her and whatever. But then she starts being just like outwardly rude and deliberately gets Tracy in trouble. And Link calls her out on it this time. He's like, Amber, I'm sick of you being so rude to her what did she do just because she's a good dancer and amber has this really tense moment and she's like oh you think she can dance right and obviously tracy can dance like she got picked from the from the crowd which is kind of cool but i love this scene because after tracy gets detention i i can't remember oh the teacher asked link to answer a question and link just stands up and says kiss my ass <laughs> so he can get detention and it's his way of sticking up for tracy i think right because when Tracy gets caught. He's like, wait. And the teacher's like, oh, did you have something to add? And Link Mm -hmm. goes, kiss my ass. Yeah. (laughs) So they both end up in detention together. And this is also the scene where we're going to get a little bit more of Seaweed and his family and the Seaweed Penny dynamic as well. I like this scene because Link comes in and Link is supposed to be like the cool guy, but he does not fit into detention. His dance moves are not hitting. Everyone's like, Okay, good job, Link. But like everybody else is really getting down with it. And Link is just very out of place. Which I kind of like. I think Link is one of the more oblivious characters in terms of the race issue that's going on. Amber is very aware and has made her decision very clear. Tracy is very aware and has made her decision very clear. I think Link is just so self-absorbed that he doesn't understand that anything going on around him is like even important. I think that's a good way of putting it. So in this scene, we get Run and Tell That, which is Seaweed's kind of big standing moment number. And he invites Penny, Link, and Tracy to all come to his mom's place for a sock hop. And they all decide to go, but you get this huge dance number of them leaving the school and going over. And you get introduced to his sister, Little Inez, who you find out also auditioned for the Corny Collins show, but didn't get it. And they have this scene in the stage production where at the end of Miss Baltimore Crabs, Little Inez walks in and says, oh, can I please audition? And Velma goes, oh, of course not, but you can bow to me. Oh, ew. <laughs> well, she says, she says it's because she's Miss Baltimore Crabs, but yeah, that's definitely a racist undertone for Velma. Yuck. I actually don't think I've ever seen this on stage. It's a little bit different. The song order specifically is what's different. Yeah. Interesting. Ew. I hate that line. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. The, it's a little bit cringe, but once we get off the bus and we finish Run and Tell That, which, by the way, is one of my favorite numbers in this. I think I already it's mentioned good, yeah. that. We get introduced a little bit more to Motormouth Maybell, but we've never really seen her off of Negro Day. And so now you kind of see her at home and in her natural state. And you have this number of Big Blonde and Beautiful where she's getting all dolled up and she's talking about all the good fun they're going to be having and all the good food they're going to be eating. Mm-hmm. And I think Penny has this one line there where she says, 
says, I'm very pleased and scared to be here. And Motormouth says, oh honey, we have more reason to be scared on your street. Which again is, they're not hitting you over the head with any of these lines, but it's a very impactful line. Right. And we have another one of those where she says, oh, well, this is more of a celebration. And they're like, well, what are we celebrating? And she's like, it's an ending. I just found out that Negro Day was canceled. So this yeah. triggers Tracy into what I want to call the third act of the movie and the show, where Tracy is going to be really pushed forward into making sure that integration is passed because she says, fine, if they aren't going to let you dance on TV, then you'll just come dance with us. Mm -hmm. And they said, like, you know, we can't go dance with you. She says, if we can't dance, maybe we can march. So that kind of throws us into this whole march scene but link says he can't go with them because something about agents and it's too big for him and he uses that word that term too big and that really offends tracy because she feels like that has something to do with her size as well and that's definitely the implication and link was like oh my god i didn't mean it that way but like yeah that's on link right so edna of course was also a little bit worried but she was a little bit more supportive at the same time too she's like oh they're very nice people but we should go and mm. kind of just assume Tracy would forget about it, but that's not the Tracy we know. So while this is going on, and once Link and Tracy have their little falling out, we get back to the house and Edna, all of a sudden with her newfound confidence, wants to go and have some time <laughs> with Wilbur. But at the same time, Velma had some tricks up her sleeve and snuck over to Wilbur, who I don't know if we mentioned Wilbur is Tracy's dad played by Christopher Walken. And Velma sneaks over to his joke shop and tries to seduce him. And Edna actually walks in. We get a reprise to Big Blonde and Beautiful. And Edna walks in on the end of it, but nothing was actually happening. And I think that one of the moments that really had me laugh is Velma pretends something was happening. She like pulls Wilbur on top of her and is like, oh, I, I thought you said your wife was gone, but they weren't doing anything before. Yeah, it's, oh, she's so sleazy. I hate her. <laughs> I mean, obviously you're supposed to hate her, but like that's such a dirty move to pull. And especially because she knows Edna is very insecure in herself. Like, why would you do that to her husband? That's so mean. But then Wilbur gets like the brunt of the whole thing and he gets like in trouble for it. And then Edna kicks him out of the house and she's like sobbing. Tracy's over it. Tracy's like, mom, get over it. And then she goes down to visit her dad and she's just like, dad, what happened? And he's like, you have to believe me. I love your mother. I would never do yeah. something like that. And Tracy obviously knows how the Von Tussles can be. So I think mm -hmm. she definitely is more in her father's favor on that. But her dad's like, she won't even talk to me. And she changed the locks. And you have this cute father-daughter moment where Tracy holds up the key and dad's like, ah. Oh. And then she lets him into the house. Yeah. And they get that... I, I know there always has to be a number like this, but that number between Wilbur and Edna, I don't know. You're talking just, to me. Yeah, it just feels really out of place. And for a musical that's really upbeat and fun and to have like this slow, romantic-ish song that's supposed to be funny and comedic, I don't know. It just kind of like ruins the momentum for me. Oof, I have to disagree strongly. Yeah. I think your timeless to me really kind of gives you a character development for Wilbur and Edna because until this, you kind of just view them as Tracy's parents. But I feel like this is where you really get to see their love for each other and how playful and cute and adorable they are with each other and how they're really like a pure love, which isn't very common in this. I think that the pure loves in this are Seaweed and Penny and Wilbur and Edna. I agree. I, I don't know. I just don't. I didn't really care. <laughs> like the whole That's thing. That's fair. It's not really for care. everyone. Yeah. 
I just, I like Edna as a character. I like Welber as a character, but like that song together just didn't hit for me. So then the next morning we cut to the protest and Tracy shows up and they're just like, are you sure you want to do this? You're never going to dance on TV again. And Tracy mm-hmm. says, if I can't dance with Seaweed and Inez, then I don't want to dance at all. The, okay. This is one of the issues I have is that, yes, I think Tracy is doing the right thing. She's being, like, overly kind of praised for it. And, like, Motormouth is, like, I don't know, like, putting her up on a pedestal. And it gives you this, like, they they call it, like, a white savior moment where it's, like, she seems like their only hope. And she's so amazing for, like, doing this when it is the right thing to do. And she should just be doing it in the first place. I think this scene makes it very obvious that this was written by white creators (laughs) when it's maybe not the right story to tell. I don't know. It's... It's complicated. I get where they're going. I get it's the 60s. Things are different now, but it is still like a modern musical. I don't know. There's parts of this that are uncomfortable for me because it's like she shouldn't be like a god for doing this. Like it's the right thing to do. There's definitely a bit of a white savior undertone to it. Not even a bit. There is a white savior Mm -hmm. undertone to it. But like you mentioned, it is the 60s. So I think at the time it would make more sense because I don't think had she not shown up to the protest, I don't think it would have had the same impact. I agree. I I do agree with that. I just don't agree with the language that they gave the Black characters in this scene. And I think had there been more Black creators in the production of this musical, we may have gotten different lines that made it more believable, more not so white savory. Does that make sense? There's just some like, there's too much praise of Tracy. It makes sense. I think to counter your argument, they do have their moment where they give Motormouth, I know where I've been. And that is the show stopping number. That is the number that will bring people to tears and will bring people to a standing ovation when they see this. And so having Motormouth have this song where she's just talking about all the struggles that her and her people have been through, it really does kind of bring to light and show that they're aware that these are their issues. And I think that's where it kind of takes the weight on Tracy being the savior out of the spotlight and shows that, well, they can fight this battle on their own. Tracy's just with them. But I do agree with you. I do think that the dialogue definitely is more of a white savior complex style. Yeah. And that's, I mean, an undertone throughout the entire musical. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier when I was referencing this. Just, I think there's a layer of it that's lacking. Had we had more creators of color involved in this musical, it would have gotten, I think it would have been better. Like at the end of the day, it just having another perspective and it's not so, Tracy is, you know, our savior. Thank you. I think they do kind of cushion it, though, by having other characters throughout pushing for integration. Like, you have these moments where Corny Collins says that, oh, we should bring those kids on with us. And you have other people that are just as accepting. But I think Tracy, because she is the person with the star power and the primary character of this musical, that's the reason she gets put on that pedestal. Right. And I do want to note that I am fully aware this is a comedy and that not everything is meant to be like super serious. And But I just think like this issue, I don't know. I don't, it's like a little uncomfy when it's taken like too lightly. And I do agree that that song that Motormouth has makes it so much more better. Like if we had not had that song, I would have a very 
different opinion about this scene in this musical. Um, I just wish that maybe the scene was taken a little more heavy or had a different perspective included in it. But, you know, it is a comedy at the end of the day. There's only so much that certain creators want to go to. And I think the primary problem for Tracy's character is more about her size than it is about race. I think race is the secondary plot for this musical. Right, which is like, I don't know. I don't want to say problematic on its own, but it does inherently create problems when you kind of put that on the back burner. But that also is not Tracy's main problem in her life. She's a 16-year-old girl who is plus size and already going through her own things. So not that she shouldn't also be aware of what's going on, but you know, it, it inherently creates a problem and you're going to run into issues when it is a B-plot already, you know? So you have I Know Where I've Been and you have the marching to the protest to this song and it's a very emotional scene. It's beautiful. Queen Latifah does a knockout job. If you've never mm -hmm. heard her recording of it, go check it out on Spotify. It's great. And we finally get to the studio where their final destination was and you have policemen lined up and they're telling them to shut down the protest. And when Motormouth tries to speak up, the cops just ignore her and turn away. And Tracy says, excuse me, she was talking to you and kind and of bonks him. the guy oh on the head <laughs> with her sign. And all of a sudden they're like, you just assaulted a police officer. And they're like, you what? She assaulted? What? And yeah. so they're like, Tracy, run. And so Tracy runs through the crowd because the cops are trying to arrest her now. And they're like, we're going to take the whole lot in. But you see Tracy running through the crowd. And this is one of those moments where it differentiates from the stage production. Because in the stage production, this is the end of Act 1 and everyone gets taken to jail. Whereas in the movie, Tracy goes um, on the run. See, I, okay, I get it in terms of plot. I like how this progresses in terms of plot. I'm like, Tracy, stand up for yourself. <laughs> like, it's such a frustrating moment when you see her, like, running through the crowd and running away. And then... Again, I, I hate that everybody kind of like crowds around and protects her. Like, no, Tracy. <laughs> Again, she does get in trouble and they blow it way out of proportion. We say like later on the news, they're saying she shattered a policeman's jaw with a crowbar. And, you know, I, I do like that moment because you see how quickly things are thrown out of proportion in these protest moments and things that have to do with heavier issues like it gets thrown out of proportion so often so tracy flees to penny's house and they have this funny moment where her mother is telling her you're never gonna see her again imagine if i let you hang out with her and penny's just like nodding her head but she sees tracy at the window asking to come in and penny kind of just gestures for her to go to the door and she takes her down they have this like bunker in their basement and she's like it's very well equipped and we have gas mm -hmm. masks food water you can stay here as long as you'd like but Penny's mom interrupts and she's just like, nope, the police are on their way. And yeah. she pulls Penny out and Tracy's like, you haven't heard the last of me, Mrs. Pingleton. And this is where we get my second favorite song in the movie, which is Without Love. Without Love is good. Is that all you have to say about it? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's very musical theatery. And I just like this, this whole musical is so cheesy and it's supposed to be cheesy. And I get that. That's just not my vibe. That's not my favorite thing. Okay, fair enough. It's, yeah. it's not everyone's favorite thing i have fun with it one of the things i like about like this scene though is when penny's mom like ties her up she ties her up with a jump rope and she like sprays holy water on her and it's like devil child devil child and then she puts on like <laughs> jesus music on vinyl jesus music yeah oh my god i think that was such a funny scene i love the satirical nature of penny's mom i think it's very effective like every character is over the top but 
hers is just particularly funny to me. And then we have Seaweed enter and he rescues Penny and that's where we get Without Love. And with that, you also have Link showing up at Tracy's house and he's like, oh my God, I'm so worried. I heard Tracy on the news and Mm -hmm. Edna lets him in and they have this funny moment where he's like, I can't sleep. I can't eat. And she's like, you can't eat? Well, come inside. I'll make you some pork. (laughs) I love that. So we have Without Love and It's Tracy singing about how she wants to see Link and Link singing about how he wants to see Tracy. Seaweed and Penny singing about how in love with each other they are. And they break out of Penny's house and they get Tracy out of the basement and they drive off. Tracy's hiding in the trunk. And through this, they're driving over two motor mouths to kind of have it like a sanctuary. And Mm -hmm. Tracy's hiding in the trunk. Penny's under a blanket. The police are still on the hunt for Tracy. So... Things are tight, but Link's just hanging out at Tracy's house, and it's just a fun song. I don't know. It's upbeat, fun. I always sing it in the car with my friends on, like, road trips. <laughs> it is fun. I, I get how it's, you know. And it is in a nice place in the musical where, it, you know, you had this more serious moment, and it's uh, back to upbeat again. We, like, jump back into that space, so... It is fun. So when we get to Motormouths, she enters and she's just like, why didn't you think about hiding her here before? And then you also have this moment where she sees Seaweed and Penny and she's just like, ah, so you know what? This is love. Well, don't let anyone tell you otherwise because you're going to be getting a whole wave of stupid coming at you. And Penny has this moment. She goes, oh, so I guess you've met my mom. I guess I missed that line. Yeah, I love that. But we cut to the next scene because Tracy calls her mom from Motormouths and she's just like, Mom, I'm okay. I need you to meet us at the studio tomorrow. And it brings us into the Miss Teenage Hairspray pageant. Yes. One thing that I forgot to mention, though, is that we find out that Tracy's dad bailed out everyone from jail. Right. And I I think that's like an important moment that kind of gets breezed over. But that's the kind of like energy that I wanted that scene to have with Tracy, where it's, yeah, that's the right thing to do. We're not overly praising you for it. I think that's more of the vibe that I wish that scene had. That's more of the stage production vibe. Okay, cool. Maybe I just haven't... I I really don't think I've seen the stage production, to be honest. You'll have to check it out. Yeah, I'll have to watch it next time it comes around. Anyway, so Rebecca, Courtney Collins, and it's the live show for the Miss... What is it? Miss Teenage Hairs... Miss Pageant... Miss Teenage Hairspray. Miss Teenage Hairspray pageant. Pageant? Is it a pageant? Yes. What is this? Okay. It's a pageant. We're at the live pageant. I, I really like this because Edna notices Velma like rigging the vote. And this is Edna's moment where she gets to like, really stand up. And she, I, I like that we got, there's a small character arc with Edna, but it's important for her. And I'm glad we get that at the end where she is like strong enough to stand up to Velma. So they're having the dance pageant and all the Corny Collins kids have their moment where they get to go front and center and dance for the agents. And Amber even points out to Link, she's like, Link, look, there's agents. Maybe they'll sign us together. And Velma's, like you mentioned, rigging the votes on the sidelines yeah. to make Amber win. So through and all this- over Amber at this point. Like he's completely sick of her. Yeah, because I think he wants to be with Tracy at this point. Yeah. So he just is with Amber on camera. So then we get this whole scene where you have all these different people showing up dressed like Tracy. <laughs> it's but like they're a heist. there to support her. Yeah. And there's security everywhere, police everywhere, and they're on the lookout for her, but they keep like stopping everyone wearing wigs or anything. Yeah. And they think they see her, but then it turns around and it's Wilbur dressed up as Tracy. <laughs> So they realized that in their rush to arrest Wilbur, they left the stage completely open and they got locked out. So Velma's like, you locked yourselves out and they use a giant can of hairspray to batter down the door like a battering ram. (laughs) 
So when they get in finally, they're like, oh, sorry, that took so long. That hairspray can was heavy. And Velma goes, what do you mean it's heavy? It's hollow. And you have this scene where it cuts back and shows that there was a cutout in the can and they had carried Tracy into the venue. Love that scene. So obviously Tracy's in now. We're in the middle of the hairspray pageant. And then at the very end, Tracy comes down. She gets lowered down from like, the it's like the hairspray rig or something yeah it's like the throne for miss teenage hairspray yeah so she comes like down from that she got up into the grid somehow i don't know how she got up there (laughs) and then i love this because tracy comes out in a 60s shift dress which i have in my notes she is the moment she's got the straight hair with the bump and i think this is trying to just costume wise show that Tracy is progressive and she is like for change because at the time of this, like we're still in the, like the 60s skirts, like the circle skirts and everything that's a carryover from the fifties fashion. And so in this moment you get a shift in fashion shift in like thought processing shift in ideas just through her fashion. And I, th- I think that's a cool way to do it. Well, you also have her dress, which is black and white checkered. So that's, again, oh, kind of yeah. showing, pushing for integration. So I think that yeah. having that nod on her costume is great. I mean, obviously, the TVs in the 60s were black and white anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, the whole costume is just a statement. And I, I think it's it's cool when you're able to do that with different branches of production. So then we get You Can't Stop the Beat, and it's the huge finale number of Hairspray. You have Tracy do her this. You have Tracy do her dance. Link joins her. She invites Inez out to dance, which everyone is baffled by, but Inez comes front and center, does her whole dance, and everyone's having so much fun except for Amber and Velma, who are freaking out. Yeah. And then through this, like, Penny kisses Seaweed live on TV. I love the cut back to her mom where she, like, flips out that's a good moment we also have that moment where amber goes up and she's like mom let's just forget about this because her mom is still freaking out she's like we're gonna arrest them when we cut to commercial and her mom's Mm -hmm. like no no you can't have lost because i switched the damn tallies and she holds the tallies that she had stuffed in her bra and cuts to show that edna had turned the camera to look at her so that was just broadcast smile yeah i i think this is really a culmination of everything at the very end like you get all the loose ends tied up in one one little number with a bow and we also have that moment where corny collins goes up to motormouth and he says motormouth come on up and he pulls her up and he says this is your time and so you finally have that integration on the corny collins show and it even ends with corny collins saying the corny collins show is now and forever officially integrated well because little inez wins miss teenage hairspray which makes her the new lead dancer on the show Exactly. And that's kind of like that little twist that I really like because Inez is in shock and everyone's in shock that Inez just won because she was only running for Miss Teenage Hairspray in those like three minutes that she was dancing. So she got this Mm -hmm. wave of votes to push her over. And, you know, just to just to go back to it, I understand. I think it's fun. I probably wouldn't have ended it any other way. Is it a little problematic to just kind of be like, ah, everything's good now? Yes. But, you know, what are you going to do? You're not going to end a musical on a sad number. I just wanted to, like, make a note of that. It's musical theater. I think you need to uh, suspend your disbelief a little bit, specifically with Hairspray. I don't think this is a true story. No, no. I mean, based on true events, yes. But, like, yeah, it's (laughs) – there's an air of um, light lightness to it. So – The movie ends with Inez being crowned Miss Teenage Hairspray and Tracy and Link sharing a kiss. And that is Hairspray, which leads me to my next question. Catherine, 
I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. Where do you put this on a scale of one to 10? Like a six. Okay. That's fair. I don't love it. I would never put this on of my own volition. I would probably not watch it if a group of people wanted to watch it. I'd probably fight it a little bit. I'd sit through it if everybody else in the room wanted to watch it. But yeah, it's not my favorite musical. It's not my favorite movie. Is it well done? Yes. So I'm not going to give it like a bad rating as a movie itself. But do I like Hairspray? No. Fair. What's yours? I know you like this a lot more than I do. Honestly, I think you overestimate that. I'm going to put it at a 6.5. 7 on a good day, but 6.5 would be a typical day that you ask me. I think that I might have been oversaturated on it. When it first came out, I definitely was very much into the hairspray hype. But I think over the years, I've heard it so much and I've gotten so familiar with the story. I mean, even when we were doing our rewatch, I was playing on my phone because I can almost recite this movie. I know it way too well. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I had to pay attention because I had like, I honestly forgot what it was about. (laughs) I think from a production aspect, this movie is one of the stronger musical to movie adaptations we've gotten in terms of how it transitions. But it's not necessarily my favorite musical in general, which I think is why I put it at a 6.5. But it still is good. I think that if you haven't seen Hairspray or if you've never been like introduced to the music of Hairspray, it's definitely a good way to introduce yourself to it. I think that there's a great adaptation here. And one thing that I noticed and read about was that there was originally a planned sequel after the adaptation was like so well received. And I'm really happy we didn't get a Hairspray sequel because I don't think that there's any more story to tell. And I feel like that would have just been beating a dead horse. It was supposed to be in the 1960s with the British invasion and hippie movement of the Vietnam War backdrop. Weird. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't get that. Yeah, but I think that 6.5 is a comfortable rating for Hairspray for me. It's something I'd turn on if I need to be put in a good mood and I don't really want to pay that much attention. Fair enough. But with that, I am going to say, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and give us a follow at BTST Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. And if you want to join our film discussion, let us know what you thought about Hairspray 2007. Or if you have any film suggestions for us, go ahead and shoot us an email at btstpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe if you enjoyed today's episode. And thank you guys for holding out with us for this episode. You have no idea how many times we tried to record this. I think it was like 10, right? Yeah, nothing was in our favor. We sat down to record this at least like five or six times. And yeah. it just was not working. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your patience. Yeah, thank you thank for you listening. So Absolutely. And make sure to join us for being in the Ricardos. Hopefully tomorrow we'll be able to get that out to you. But until then, I'm Sean. And I'm Kat. And this has been another episode, a long overdue episode of Been There, (laughs) Seen That. Thanks for listening. Bye.